The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The scripture reading for this morning is a summary of Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. The Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughter. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. My daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your gods, my gods. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? As we finish our book of Jonah and now turn our attention to Ruth, we were wrestling all week and the last couple of weeks about what to preach through next. And after everything that our church has been through over the last few weeks and months, uh, it felt like preaching through something about pain would be completely relevant to what we have going on. Ruth is the story of pain and yet God's providence and God's giving provision. 
It's a story of emptiness that turns into a story of abundance. But I just wanted you to hear one more time before we dive in. This is some of the quotes that Naomi, she loses her husband and she loses her two sons. Her two sons. And this is some of the quotes. She said, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She also says this, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. The Lord has brought me up empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Maybe you're in this room and that's exactly where you're at. I'm just bitter. You are my heartbreak. Or it feels as if the Lord has afflicted you. Been made to feel empty. And Ruth helps us to take those feelings and to genuinely feel them. To know what to do with them. To know how to continue our walk forward. For me in this room, feeling like the Lord has afflicted me. And let's study this passage. pray that you will bless the preaching of your word, that you will pour out comfort to your people. And we can move into joyful things, to bring hope amidst a heavy story. I ask that you would be with them, your people, fill them up with hope. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. There's a famous story by, about a man named Jerry Sitzer. Jerry Sitzer experienced more tragedy than many of us will ever know. In September 1991, he was driving his family home from this wonderful Indian reservation, this place, this Indian reservation near Plummer, Idaho, where they had visited to be an encouragement. And another driver sped across the center of the lane, drunk, 85 miles per hour, and crashed head onto Jerry's sister's van. They were so far out in the middle of nowhere that it took an hour for an ambulance to arrive. As he's trying to pull his family from the car and take note of what has happened, he sees his sons, John and David, and his daughter, Catherine, and they're still alive. But Jerry's sister sees that his wife, Linda, his four-year-old daughter, Diana Jean, and his mother, Grace, are all dead. Jerry wrote a book about his tragedy and what his loss meant four or five years after. He said this, I remember those first moments after the accident as if everything was happening in slow motion. Sister writes, They are frozen into my memory with a terrible vividness. He 
said, I remember the feeling that struck my soul as I watched Linda, my mother, and Diana Jane all die before my eyes. I remember the pandemonium that followed. People gawking, lights flashing from emergency vehicles, a helicopter whirring overhead, cars lining up, medical experts doing what they could to help. And I remember the realization sweeping over me that I would soon plunge into a darkness for which I might never emerge as a sane and as a sane and normal believing person. He said, one of my predominant emotions from beginning to end is disbelief. I don't understand why those three people died. I just don't get it. It's another version of the story that we read in Ruth. Naomi and her family go away to a place so that they won't all starve. And while they go away to that place, she loses her husband. Then her two sons die. And it doesn't mention this explicitly in the text, but we can tell by from the culture that her her two sons were struggling with infertility. At that time in the world, in that time, and particularly in Israel, when you are married for ten years, and you don't have children, it's because something is the matter. So she loses her husband. She loses her sons. She can't have grandchildren. It's the sense of, I just don't get it. Why so much loss? Why so much hurt? Why so much brokenness? And we feel that way too. Maybe you're in this room and you've experienced infertility. Maybe you're in this room and you've experienced loss or death or disease. Maybe you've experienced the loss of a job or the loss of a meaningful relationship. We're trying to make sense. We're trying to understand how could this be? How am I supposed to take a God who is loving and a God who is in control? And then look at this thing in my life and how am I supposed to make sense of it? And that's where we find Naomi. She says, I'm bitter. The Lord has afflicted me. How else can I understand this? And we resonate. Either quietly ignoring God or resenting Him and seething with anger of why did you afflict me? But because of what Jesus has done for us, we must cling to hope. So three points for you this morning. We'll move quickly. Life will bring pain. Pain will bring doubt. And love will bring hope. Life will bring pain. Pain will bring doubt. And love will bring hope. First of all, life will bring pain. Life will bring pain in the sense of general world around us. Look in verse 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife had two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab to live there. So you're going to experience pain just from existing in this world. Just from existing in this world. This world is broken, it's fallen, it all around us. Just flipping through any sort of news, you 
can see just how broken and messed up our world is. And living in it, it's going to push itself onto us. So some of the things that you will experience in this world have nothing to do with your sin. It's just the reality of living in a broken world. They're experiencing famine. They actually experience it twice. Once they leave Israel because of famine, and then they have to move back to Israel because they're running out of food in Moab. You will experience pain in this world. And pain is one of the quickest things to cause you to not believe in God. Tim Keller says it this way, As I took up the life as a minister, I tried to understand why so many people resisted and rejected God. And I soon realized that perhaps the main reason is affliction and pain. What he's saying is is that the number one thing that tends to cause people to reject or to resist the fact that there's a God is because they are wounded. They're wounded. Just living in this world. They're wounded from famine in the world, but they're also wounded from loss in their own personal story. Look at verse 3 through 5. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Both Malon and Kilion died. And so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This is shocking to us. I know the story reads very quickly, but you've heard it in there. She loses her husband, so she's a widow. She buries her two sons, which no one should have to bury their children. But it's part of the reality in which she lives. She buries her two sons. She has no heirs coming, no grandchildren because of infertility. This woman literally has no hope of making money. No hope of protection from the outside world. She's an Israelite woman living in Moab. No sons to protect her. No husbands to provide for her. And she's losing hope. She says in verse 21, I went away full, but I have come back empty. I went away full, but I have come back empty. Friends, where in your life have you experienced shocking loss? Shocking loss. Shocking loss is not far from our home. It's our new church home. Ted Strawbridge, our assistant pastor, just passed away now, celebrating and dancing with Jesus. He asked me about a year and a half ago to consider planting a church. And we said, and I'll do it, and we'll do it together, and we'll walk this road together. We'll, we, I'll be by your side. And the reason that you're in this room is because of his faithfulness. If I knew Ted wasn't going to be here as my coach and my mentor, I wouldn't have said yes. Now Mary Lou's without her husband, AC's without her dad. Ben's without her father-in-law. His father-in-law. As I'm walking out of Ted's funeral in Ocala, which was two hours of belly laughing, and then we had to pull the plug. I get a text from Elizabeth that her brother has just gone to be with Jesus. Too much. loss. It's it's too blurry. It's too confusing. That's why people sometimes don't believe is that you're encountering these things and you're supposed to believe in a God who's in control and a God who loves us and it's too much. 
Within eight days, we lose two people close to our congregation. It's too much. And part of what this story is supposed to remind us, many have called me. There are things that I will say from the pulpit to urge you as God's people and those that I work upon that I would never say to you if you brought me to me in person. Okay? I just want you to be able to be astute with me to know that I can tell you from the pulpit one thing, but if you brought me pain, I'd never be like, God is sovereign. Never would I do that. I haven't said that to Mary Lou one time since we got married. But part of what the story of Ruth tells us is that God is in control even when we can't see it. When it's too blurry, when it's too confusing, God is in control. One of the famous things about the story of Ruth is that God is mentioned very little in the book. And yet you see things come together, things change, things transform, things that look so horrific to turning into something so glorious. And you see it because God is in control. It's one of the mysteries of the book is that God's hand is at work even amidst the brokenness. And I want you to hear that because that is one of the messages of Ruth and that is one of the messages of the Bible that despite how dark it looks, God will see you through. Oh, it's true that we see that there's a famine and that there's loss and that there's brokenness in the world and yet God is in control. But when your friend is suffering, don't you dare say that. When your friend is suffering and hurting and weeping, and don't you dare say God is in control. That's when they need to feel the presence of Jesus' love and warmth. That's when they need to feel your grief and lament with you. It's a time to remind them of God's love for them, not God's control over their story. Know that God is in control when you see brokenness, but don't you dare say it. One of the things that Naomi's struggling here with is the deep darkness is that nothing could be good. Nothing can be good. And I know I struggle with depression. And one of the ways that I know that I'm depressed is that even good things in my life, I can't see anymore. I, I can't quite sort them out. And everything feels heavy. Everything feels a loss. Ruth says, God's afflicted me. God's abandoned me. Excuse me, Naomi says that. And part of the reason that we know that she's struggling is because she doesn't even see that Ruth hasn't left her side. She still feels afflicted and abandoned. And so that's one of the things I want you to notice is that when you're low, when you're discouraged, when you're hurting, it will feel like there is no provision to see you through. It will feel like I can't see anything good that will come from this. And that's okay that you feel that way. It's even okay that you say it. But I just want you to notice this. Naomi feels like there's nothing that's going to help her get through, even though she can't see that Ruth's going with her. Maybe when you're struggling and low and lost, you could just consider, maybe there are things that are going to help provide for me, even now, even though I can't see. Heather also said this, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we are not in control of our lives,
work of the Spirit that made you who truly was, so that in you you may have hear the words of Jesus, take heart. Take heart, he says. Don't trust your eyes, trust me. Don't trust your experience, trust me. I know you will have trouble. Take heart, he says. It's something we need to be reminded of again and again, and Naomi doesn't know it. She has no idea that her life's about to get so blessed and so encouraged so filled back up, she has no idea. All she can see is darkness. And what faith does is it helps you to walk in the dark, listening for the words of Jesus. I know you have trouble, but take heart. Friends, we in this room need to hear this. Take heart. There are some of you here that need to say, whatever you need to do to deepen your understanding of who God is and what God has done. You don't experience love very obviously through the good gifts and blessings. You experience love through provision and God like Samson. That all year we're trying to be good, we're trying to be on the good list and not the naughty list. And we're doing really, really good. And even the night before Santa comes, we fill out a note saying, hey, I'm good, I've been good. And by the way, here are some milk and cookies just in case you're thirsty and hungry. In other words, look, Santa, I've been good all year, I've been trying, and I'm trying to trying to do even one more good thing to bless you. And now now that I've blessed you, Santa, you bless me. You leave me lots of toys. And unfortunately, friends, so much of the Christian faith, people confuse as if it's Santa Claus. I'm living a good life. I'm trying. Maybe not perfectly, but I'm trying. Where are my presents, God? And Jesus is looking and saying, you want to experience more of me the way to do that is through pain and suffering. Life was in pain, and that pain was in suffering. Pain was in suffering. Look with me in verses 14 and 15 of this passage. Did you therefore wait until there was rain? Did you therefore refrain from buying it? No, my daughter.
said, what have I done to bring this calamity upon me? Throughout the New Testament and Old Testament, there's times in which there's calamity and God as a gift to us says, you can tell me about that. That's what lamenting is, joining as a community and saying, we don't like this, but where else would we go? sacrificially. 
she is willing to empty herself so her daughters-in-law will live. When a whole batch of shoes showed up at the homes and the orphanages of Mother Teresa, you'd imagine there's all these poor people, all these hurt feet. You'd imagine they'd dump those shoes out and there would just be a mad dash, a scramble for whoever could get the best. And Mother Teresa always waited until all of the other shoes were gone to go and pick out her new ones that didn't fit. Out of her poverty, she was still willing to sacrificially, and that's what we're supposed to see in our own lives. We see Naomi say, I want your life to be better even than mine. We also see the extraordinary love of Ruth. Verse 16 through 18. Some of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Ruth said, Don't urge me to leave you or to follow me. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts from me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, Come with me. There's this beautiful, eerie determination that Ruth communicates, I ain't going anywhere. Ruth actually becomes a believer from using the God, the almighty word. She says, your God will be my God. She takes on the name of Yahweh. She says, I'm going to be one of you now. Ruth says, even though my only shot at life would be to go back home to my family's house, rest there a while, marry a Moabite man, have some children, maybe, and then be provided for. Even though that's my only prospect of life, I as a Moabite woman are going to go with this Israelite woman into a country far away from my own. I'm going to give up my chance of ever seeing my family ever again. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give up what's comfortable for me. And I'm going to go to a land in which they hate Moabite people. We know from the text that Boaz is worried about her safety later, meaning she's going to go to a place where she not only doesn't have any provision for food and for finance, she doesn't have any heirs coming. She's going to go to a place where Boaz is concerned she'll be assaulted in the field if she's not careful. And yet Ruth says, I will go. I will go. I will go. Your God will be my God. This is what I want you to see tonight from both Naomi's love and Ruth's love. Friends, if other people's pain isn't getting in your way, you're not living a loving life. If other people's pain isn't getting in your way, you're not living a loving life. That means that because of your friend's struggles in marriage, you're more somber. Because of your friend's struggles with finances, you're more worried, you're more prayerful, you're more confused about what God is doing. When someone loses someone, you give up your joy and you sit with them in their sorrow. That means to know whether or not you're living a loving life. When other people are hurt, do you take hits? That's what living a loving life looks for. That's what Naomi does. That's what Ruth does. She leaves her country, she leaves her family, no financial prospects, and she moves to a dangerous place. Friends, who in your life needs you to take hits for them? 
because Naomi loves Ruth so well, she converts. She says, if you're going to worry that much about me and not about yourselves, I want to be a part of that process. Even your wife, because of the way that you're loving, goes, I don't know everything, but I want to be a part of your life. Because of the way that Ruth loves Naomi, the way that she goes and puts herself in harm's way, she takes pity. It's a beautiful picture of what love is, is taking pity for others. Ultimately, if we end this story, despite all the pain, we'll see that there's a greater redeemer than Boaz. There's a greater son of Bethlehem. Phenomenal woman. She's been a quadriplegic most of her life. She said this. She became a Christian in high school, and as she was going off to college, she knew that she was sort of acting out and not living a very Christian life. And she said, I don't want to go off to college and defame your good name, God. I don't want to smear your reputation. I know it's far more than me. So do something in my life. Do something in my life. To jerk it right side up because I'm living this life of godliness now. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, she was preparing to head off to college. They went out to the beach for a swim. She says she swam out to the grass. Student athletes for some other met a student that was falling. Hoisted herself up, took this guy. She called him stupid guy and what had ended up being a stainless shallow water. I snapped my head back and when I hit bottom, I punched and tore the cervical vertebrae severing my spinal cord. I was laying face down in the water desperately hoping that my sister would please notice that I had been swimming. But I didn't know that she was swimming. Ultimately, her sister came up. Kelly was bitten by a crab. thinking, God, is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never going to be trusted with another one after me again. Because what I come from is empty trust in you. To a friend who would come to the hospital and they encouraged me, kept sharing the verse to her, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I ask you to think of the times you say, Lord, this is not my plan. Later in life, after a life of faithfulness, living as a quadriplegic, she got married. She said she was with her husband, driving home after a funeral service. Same woman who's lived and suffered more than we could possibly imagine. And they were talking, and I said, We were talking about how suffering is like little splash edges on a bicycle. 
little slack over them. Kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then she pulled onto the driveway. And her husband said, well, then what do you think slack overs of heaven are like? Are they those easy, bright times where everything's going your way? You have wealth and both of them. suffering, you will actually grow in your heart for God and grow in your heart for others, and that you'll actually experience deep life in finding Jesus in these flashes of heaven. We're all going to suffer. But it will be Jesus. Help us to live as if other people's lives can get in our way. 